Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. These words from the book of Ruth, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. In our readings from scripture this morning, we hear two stories about the faith of foreigners. Two stories of paradigmatic acts of faithfulness from those outside the people of God, the house of Israel. The first is Ruth, a Moabite woman who in radical faith leaves her home and binds herself to the people of Israel and Israel's God, to Naomi's people, Naomi's God. The second is a Samaritan leper, a man belonging to a group of 10 lepers healed by Jesus and yet the only one who returns to Jesus to give thanks and praise. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner, Jesus asks. In both stories, the exemplars of faith are outsiders, not just outsiders, despised outsiders, enemies even, Moabites and Samaritans, two historic antagonists of Israel, and yet here they are, a Moabite, a Samaritan, one clinging to a suffering Israelite woman, declaring her allegiance to her and the God of Israel, the other clinging to the feet of Jesus, giving thanks and praise. This morning I want to talk about three themes that both these stories share, three threads that unite the stories of faith of these two foreigners. The first is pain, the second is friendship, and the third is worship. Ruth and Naomi know pain. Our reading from the opening chapter of the book of Ruth this morning makes this clear. Naomi and her family, her husband and two sons, are forced to leave their home in Bethlehem and migrate to a foreign land because of a severe famine. Bethlehem, whose name means house of bread, is now left without a crumb. And so Naomi's clan seeks a new life in Moab, this strange and foreign land. Israel had, of course, a complicated relationship historically with the Moabites. They were seen to be an ethnic enemy, the descendants of Lot's incestual sin, the source of Israel's temptation to worship other gods, and those banned from the assembly of Israel because of their impurity. Moab is no place for an Israelite. And yet Naomi believes her family has a better chance there than in Bethlehem. Things start off well enough. The two boys find spouses and marry, Ruth and Orpah. But not long after entering the land, Naomi's husband dies, leaving her the widow in the care of her two sons. And then soon after this, tragedy strikes again. Both sons die, and the widow Naomi now finds herself alone without any male support and legal protection in this patriarchal world. Now she's socially and economically vulnerable, but she also has two traumatized widows under her care. Naomi's house is a precarious, grief-stricken 
place and Naomi has some decisions to make in order to secure her survival. She hears the famine in Israel has ended and so she decides to return to her homeland. Her two daughters-in-law have dealt kindly with her, even amidst their own trauma and pain. But she knows there's no future for them in Israel. They're Moabite women, after all. No Israelite man is going to be interested in them. And the best thing for them, she thinks, is remarriage. Stay in Moab, find a new husband, join a new household, begin a new life. So she grants them a blessing to return to their mother's houses. The women weep together, and Naomi turns to part. But one of the daughters-in-law won't let go. She clings to Naomi and pleads to return to Israel with her. Naomi permits this, and the two return to Bethlehem together. In the verses that immediately follow the end of our reading this morning, these describe their entrance into Bethlehem. Their pain is visible. The whole town, it says, was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Naomi responds in grave despair. Do not call me Naomi, she says, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, she says. But the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Naomi knows pain. And so does Ruth. And they aren't hiding it. They're wearing it on their sleeves. Their faces display it. They are articulating it like Job in Lament, and they aren't going to be satisfied with trite messages of optimism and comfort. Their lives have been wrecked. They know only pain. The story of Ruth and Naomi is a story about deep, unrelenting pain. I wonder what would happen if Naomi and Ruth showed up at church on a Sunday morning, at any church in America, but maybe just think about ours, how would they be received if they walked through the back doors back there, like they walked through the gates of Bethlehem, weeping and weighed down with grief and pain, saying, call me bitter because God has dealt bitterly with me. I wonder if they would find a space somewhere in here to weep, and people to weep with. I wonder if you've maybe even been in Naomi's shoes yourself. You've walked through that back door one Sunday and you were afraid to be in the presence of others because you felt your pain was a burden to them. It was inappropriate for the setting. It was unwelcome. If the church is not a place where suffering people can bring their pain through those doors, before God and each other, then something has gone terribly, terribly wrong. If the church feels to people like a place where they must hide their pain or resolve it or bury it or cloak it in false cheerfulness when they enter, then the church has become something altogether different than the body of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus 
as our reading from St. Luke's Gospel this morning shows, attracts people in pain. The ten lepers. I mean, they respect the social conventions that confine them to the margins of the city. They don't come up and touch Jesus or even enter his presence, but they draw as near as they can and shout out to him, have mercy upon us. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus is encountered by people in pain. They fall at his feet. They grasp his garments. They weep before him. And Jesus, time and again, never turns away. Never. He's never afraid of pain. He befriends people in pain. So this brings us to the second theme, to friendship. It's no coincidence that Jesus is confronted by a group of lepers. If you know anything about leprosy in the ancient world, you know that it was the exclusion and loneliness, the stigma and the the alienation that was the primary source of pain for lepers, almost more than the physical pains of the, the, the disease itself. To be a leper was to be placed outside of the common life. But there's something about the pain, about the isolation and exclusion of leprosy that makes it also the condition of new forms of friendship, subaltern communities of solidarity and suffering. Lepers formed communities outside the city gates, friendships forged in the marginal spaces of pain and alienation. The Samaritan leper has friends. Those who know deep pain know they cannot bear it alone. And this is the conviction also of Ruth. She knows she needs Naomi, and she knows Naomi needs her. She clings to Naomi, the text tells us. This Israelite widow is all that Ruth has, and she will not let her go. And then Ruth makes an extraordinary declaration of friendship and devotion to this woman who has nothing to offer her except for herself. Ruth declares, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Ruth has no idea what her future will hold, if she even has one. But she knows that any possibility of a future resides with this woman. So she decides to risk everything, to leave her home, to join a new people in a new land, to worship a new God, because her healing is tied to this friendship. Some of the most intimate and beautiful friendships that I've seen in churches over the years are among widows and widowers. Those who have suffered the unimaginable pain of a lifelong spouse and friend being taken from them. Their friendship is founded on a mutual recognition of the depth of each other's pain. It's sustained by a commitment to bearing each other's sorrows and heartache. And it's nourished by the fact that in doing so, the Lord Jesus is binding up broken hearts through the charity of the Holy Spirit in Christian friendship. And Ruth acts in that hope that her redemption, 
her healing, her salvation lies in binding herself to this Israelite woman because in her, in her friendship, Ruth sees the face of the God of Israel. She cannot return to her people and her gods because in Naomi, she sees her future, her hope. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. And that's the crucial moment in the passage. It's by joining herself to Naomi that Ruth is joined to the life of God. It's because of her friendship with Naomi that Ruth finds God, finds her future in God. I love how Ellen Davis puts this just so simply. She says, Many, perhaps most, people come to God because they know and love someone who knows and loves God. And it's why the story of Ruth so vividly exemplifies for St. Ambrose as well the movement of all Christian conversion. That when we see the image of God in God's people, Ambrose says, we respond with Ruth's words, your people are my people and your God is my God. This is Christian conversion. It's in friendship that we are led to and continually led back to God. Friendship is grace. In other words, it's not just that friendship is therapeutic. No, for the Christian friendship is the means by which we are oriented to God, directed to God, even in the midst of suffering and pain. Friendship is the bridge between pain and God. It's the gift of God's grace by which God does not abandon us to the isolation and self-enclosure of pain, but God redirects us in our pain back to God. It is with friends, maybe only in the company of friends, that we are enabled to move toward God in worship, even in pain. And so this brings us to the third theme, to worship. In both stories, people struck by profound pain are brought, nevertheless, to worship. The leper makes his declaration of thanks and praise at Jesus' feet. It's actually one of the most astonishing acts, I think, in all of Luke's gospel because the leper sees what few, if any, have perceived, that the proper place to worship God is at the feet of this man, Jesus. This leper worships the God of Israel at the feet of Jesus Christ, and he's not wrong. This is very God of very God. And in a similarly radical gesture, Ruth leaves her people, leaves her home, and joins herself to Israel and the worship of Israel's God. She binds herself to Naomi, and in doing so, she discovers the presence of God. And Naomi... Well, we don't hear about Naomi's redemption until the end of the book. After Ruth's romance with an Israelite man leads to marriage and a child, the book concludes back with Naomi, an image of Naomi worn with years of grief and sorrow, but now sitting with a child on her lap. 
the widow whose children were taken from her too soon now sits with a baby on her, on her lap, a grandchild. Now she knows not whom she holds, but this child will be the grandfather of David. She is holding the blessing of the God of Israel, the gift of God's covenant faithfulness. For the leper, for Ruth, for Naomi, grace does not mean the erasure of a history of pain. It does not blot out the memory of suffering, even trauma. They bear the scars of leprosy, of grief, of loss. And grace is not so trivial as to efface those scars, to erase those memories, but it does something much more extraordinary. It redeems them. It leads people in pain into the presence of God. Here's what all this comes down to. God's grace, God's salvation is this. People in pain are given friendship so that they might worship God. People in pain are given friendship so that they might worship God. And we know this because this is the life of Jesus. This is the work of Christ's redemption. In Jesus Christ, the Lord takes on our pain. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The bitterness of Naomi's lot, the wounds of the leper's disease, these now belong to God. Christ drinks the bitter cup. He wears the wounds of affliction on his body. God has borne our pain. And in his death and resurrection and ascension, he takes that pain into the very heart of God, into the divine life. Humanity and divinity are united even across pain. God and humanity are made friends. No longer do I call you servants, Jesus says. I call you friends. And in friendship with God, we are joined to God's life in worship and praise and glory. Pain, friendship, and worship. This is the theme of the Christian life, but only because it's the theme of the life of Christ. Christ is present to our pain. Christ calls us his friends. And in making us his friends, Christ joins us to the very life of God, our hope and our salvation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.